What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, okay. hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to episode number 258 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, a podcast that you can get two times a week wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's iTunes or Player FM or TuneIn Radio, Google Play, Earpeeler, or my personal favorite, the Podomatic app. You never know who's going to be on the other line, and you can find out two times a week by subscribing to the two-man power trip of wrestling. And I want to really start off this show before I even say that my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. You knew that part already, but I want to take a second to thank the listeners, and I want to thank everybody who downloaded our episode with Glenn Kane Jacobs. It was absolutely the fastest downloaded 
just phenomenon that we have had to date. The numbers were off the charts, and we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for taking time to listen to that interview. It was definitely a career highlight to take part in that special announcement with Glenn Jacobs, and now, as we know, he is running for mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. Hopefully, you have not heard the last of Glenn Jacobs on the two-man power trip airwaves. We are going to be supporting him 100%, and maybe uh, down the road, you never know, the Big Red Monster could make his return to the two-man power trip, because I know we will be supporting him every single step of the way, and I'm glad that I could get that out of the way, because let's move into today's episode featuring former WWE ring announcer Justin Roberts, a guy who's making a lot of headlines with his brand new book, which you're going to hear all about in this interview, but it's the comparisons of what happened in his time, his early days in the WWE, that have made the headlines in relation to what's going on with JBL and Moral Ronaldo in the WWE. Justin Roberts made some comments in his book about some stories pertaining to being ribbed by JBL and his, as he said, cabinet, that JBL had a cabinet on TV, but he also had a cabinet backstage. Uh, Some really kind of ill-natured ribs uh, towards Justin Roberts, uh, stuff involving his passport being stolen and some other uh, things done backstage that kind of relate to what's been going on with JBL and Morrow because... You know, as we're hearing things that have gone on uh, in the last couple of months, you know, from the take of Justin Roberts and when he was in the WWE, not much has changed. But that's not all we want to talk about with Justin Roberts. He has an unbelievable story. When you talk about being a fan and sitting at home and you're watching WWE and you think, I want to be a part of this or this is my lifelong dream to be a part of the WWE, well, Justin Roberts is living, breathing proof that you can achieve those dreams because from a little child all the way through his teenage years all the way into his 20s and he falls into that same new generation you know late into the federation years uh era fan just like john and i you know we're more into the heart of the federation era but that new generation span i mean we saw so many great things happen in professional wrestling but Definitely in the world of WWE and Justin Roberts, such a great fan, touches on so many of these great stories. And this book comes out at a time where wrestling books are definitely needed. And his book being a positive journey through being a fan up to getting that job and achieving some of these goals that he's had is kind of in comparison to our good friend Pete Gass and the book that he had come out where they kind of share that similar great story not necessarily the same path but still just a great inspirational story and john as i welcome you in here i would like you to talk a little bit about the things that you found really interesting about the interview with justin roberts and kind of how the relation between you know us as fans in a similar age bracket to his uh it's very cool to see but again his story is so unique and this book is going to definitely accentuate those dreamers out there who really want to find what they want to do with their lives and if they are fans of professional wrestling hey you never know you could really achieve those dreams if you really just do everything you can to make it possible yes chad the two-man power trip of wrestling is back at it again and this time the former wwe announcer justin roberts what an awesome interview i love when we get to do these interviews 
and we can relate to these guys very closely. Now, we're about the same age. We're, you know, we're, we're basically very similar in fandoms. I just love being able to connect on that level with a guest. And, and Justin is just the perfect example of this. And I also love it when the guest is just flat out honest and not necessarily going to shoot from the hip or, or, you know, anything like that, but more of a flat out honesty where he's not going to pull punches and, and he's not going to just you know bs an answer he's going to give you a well thought out answer and it's going to be from the hit, from the heart and he's really going to mean what he says and a lot of great topics that we go into in this interview of course the book that that, that is a biggie best seat in the house great book i suggest whether you go to justinrobertsbook.com or whether you go to amazon I suggest you get out there and get that book, read it. It's a quick read, it's an easy read, it's a fun read. And it's not all negative stuff, it's a lot of positive stuff. It's a lot of stuff about his journey from a fan all the way through to the WWE. And obviously he did have, quote unquote, the best seat in the house. So check out that book, buy that book, read that book. I love that book, enjoy that book for sure. Now, we do, of course, talk a lot about the book, the inspiration for the book, a lot of the stories in the book. But, you know, we do talk about some of the... Uh, you know, some of the less than positive stuff that, that came out of the book, not as far as him, but as far as a guy like JBL and as far as a guy like Vince McMahon with his, the bullying tactics and stuff like that. So you will get an honest account. We do talk about some hot button issues, some hot topics, if you will. So you're going to get that in this interview as well. But you're also going to get the, the fun side, you know, him, him as a fan, uh, some inspirations. Uh, we get some great uh, impersonations. We get some great ring announcing. We get it all in this one. It was a ton of fun, and I just really want to thank Justin uh, for coming on and sharing some time and sharing some great stories with us. And, of course, uh, you know, I will be remiss if I don't mention this, but the stuff on Triple H I thought was great, too, because it was just an honest account. And I feel like on this show we've been hitting this topic a lot, and it's to us, it's kind of crazy being the age that we are and how long we've been watching wrestling. Uh, you know, hint, hint, over 30 years now, uh, 60 years combined. But it's like when you grow up in a certain era, it's always strange to see that next era or the, the next fans and kind of where they're at and what their thinking is. So we get a great introspective on Triple H and kind of where we all think he is, me, Chad, and Justin Roberts, and where this new generation of fans think he is and where he lies, and kind of where does Triple H himself think he is. So that's an interesting part of it as well. I just thought to get that kind of comment in there was interesting, but I love the book. I love when we get into the fact when we talk about Tommy Dreamer and the book and what Dreamer has meant to his career, and obviously Tommy Dreamer wrote the forward for his book, so you get some great answers out of that, and you know, I can't put over this enough. What a great guy, what a great interview, and obviously we wish him you know, the best of luck with other things that he's doing right now. Hugely successful as an announcer doing boxing for CBS Sports, etc. So it's just awesome to see that there is life beyond the WWE, but it's also great to get that journey through WWE and really, really hit the high points. His time in the WWE, his time with, with WrestleMania, his time as the lead ring announcer. All that fun stuff is covered in this interview. And just want to say, check out the book one more time. Go to justinrobertsbook.com or go to Amazon or wherever books are sold and pick up Best Seat in the House. Absolutely. Check out the book. 
Justin Roberts, an unbelievable guest and uh, true fan. And really, when you hear him start to talk about some of the things that he was into as a kid and some of the things that he really liked, you know, he's just like any one of us. He's uh, collecting posters from back when he was a kid, having them on his office wall. You know, there's things that anybody who is a fan, a longtime fan, would save and hold on to and do the same things with. But I just, I like that you touched on that Triple H comment right there. Uh, obviously, I mentioned a little bit ago about Mauro Ronaldo and JBL and how his book kind of plays into all that discussion. But the Triple H thing, like you said, is just, uh, it's a very interesting topic and we've been hitting it a lot lately. And Justin uh, definitely shed some light onto Triple H uh, from his perspective. And that's kind of the perspective that I would think a lot of people take. But now it's a lot different. And you're going to see coming soon with another guest that we have coming up that the perception of Triple H has changed even towards this guy. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Triple H is uh, right in the epicenter, not just in the world of WWE, but still he's in the middle of all the discussions, whether it's about talent, being a talent, or in management. It's really, it's all revolving around the world with Triple H. So it's very cool. Take a listen to that and really enjoy Justin Roberts' book. We had a great response to Pete Gass and his book, and I know a couple of the listeners went out and got Pete Gass's book based off of listening to the show, but do the same for Justin Roberts. Show his so show support, excuse me, for Justin Roberts. And do the same for Justin Roberts. Show the support to Justin Roberts and head on over to JustinRobertsBook.com. Order the book. And as he said, audiobook coming soon. And uh, definitely get your mitts on that if you can. And John, as the music starts to creep in, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Justin Roberts. That was my poor attempt at a Justin Roberts impression. But John, take it with some two-man power trip of wrestling business. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring. The living legend himself, Bruno San Martino. The late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Ray Mysterio Jr., Jerry McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore if you are a super fan. And you can please check out our page while you're there. You can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icons Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land.
And now, without any further ado, the former WWE announcer for Raw, SmackDown, and ECW, now an author of Best Seat in the House, he is none other than Justin Roberts. Please enjoy. on the line tonight is now not just a ring announcer, a former WWE ring announcer, a great former WWE ring announcer at that, but to his disbelief as we were just getting on the line here, he is a published author and he's got a book out there that is definitely beginning to turn some heads. The book's title is The Best Seat in the House, Your Backstage Pass Through My WWE Journey. And tonight on the two-man power trip of wrestling, we are joined by the one and only Justin Roberts. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, uh, it's our pleasure. Your book is absolutely starting to really uh, take off, and we're just coming off WrestleMania. You just came off of WrestleCon, so obviously the first question would be, how do you feel about the response to the book? It's been great. It, it really has been uh, 100% positive, which is awesome. Um, that was the idea. I wanted to put out something that I could be happy with, and it took a long time before I was happy with what was there. So once it uh, it was what I wanted, then um, it went out, and I'm glad that people are reading it, and uh, I'm glad that people are liking it. They um, They understand that it's a true story, so it's not anything that I'm twisting. It's not I'm not taking any stories and trying to make them more entertaining. It's just you know, how my story played out. So uh, I'm glad that it's been positive feedback. It's a great time to release a wrestling book, and we just spoke with Pete Gass about the same topic. A great time to release a wrestling book in that there haven't been many wrestling books to come down the pike in a long time. And I really think with both his book and your book, to tell the journey of a great story is really uh, what the wrestling book should be all about. And when you left the WWE, the first thing that you declared was that you were going to be writing a book. And since that time, I think the diehards have really been waiting for this book to come out. And obviously, with the book's release, it's been out for a couple of weeks, um, and also uh, what's going on in the current world at WWE, your book has kind of taken center stage in relation to the stories that you've shared and also things that are going on currently in the uh, WWE world. Now, before we move into it, have you followed the current storyline, and I'm talking real-life storyline involving uh, what's been going on with JBL and Mauro Ronaldo? Um, you know, I, I heard what the speculation is. I don't know for sure what's going on, but, you know, I, I've heard, obviously, what's out there and just the speculation. So, yeah. So, kind of where I want to tie this in is that in your book, you know, you detail a lot of things, and there's some stories that you tell that 
have been kind of, you know, mentioned uh, before, uh, you know, in your quote, shoot interviews, not yours personally, but shoot interviews, people retelling stories. Uh, but now that there's a lot of mainstream media starting to cover pro wrestling, uh, and we're starting to put a little bit of a magnifying glass on certain individuals and the actions that they have, do you feel like your book is really going to shed light on those, guys, those kinds of individuals and in that it's going to really single out guys that have done bad things in the past and really, uh, you know, kind of show that they, uh, they kind of went after the wrong person and they kind of didn't do the right things when they were, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, quote, bullying uh, the topic here, which would be, you know, your book. But do you feel like um, that culture in the WWE might have gone away by this point, or do you feel like, you know, it's still going to be persisting? Well, um, obviously what I talk about in my book is what happened for sure to me. It's not anything that speculation. It's not something that may or may not have happened. It's what I went through and it's everything that I put in there is legit. Everything that I said happened, happened. And I wasn't uh, putting it in there to, you know, kick up dust. Now, years later, it was, Hey, this is my story. This is what I went through. But because of the speculation of what's going on with, you know, Morrow and JBL, what may or may not be, um, because of that, it ties into the facts that I talk about from everything that I went through. So uh, in that era, culture, as far as uh, the locker room enforcer and, and all of that and, and his cabinet, um, you know, JBL, and, and he had a cabinet on TV, he had a cabinet behind the scenes, and they made life hell for me. It wasn't like good-natured, fun ribbing. It was... Uh, hell for a long time um that could have easily been stopped by management because management was well aware of what was going on and it wasn't um management there wasn't the type to say we don't allow that kind of thing here it was more like <laughs> that's great um obviously in the, the story that i tell with uh, my passport being taken out of my bag and getting stuck in england um when i came back i came back to vince mcmahon making a joke about it because he loves that kind of stuff. He loves that kind of ribbing. Uh, to him, that's just, that's ribbing. and He doesn't care what it does or how it affects people. Um, so as far as the, the locker room enforcer, like a JBL type in the cabinet, I don't think that goes on anymore. I mean, that was in 2003. And I talk in the book about like once Tommy Dreamer came in and just how it was a different group of people and, and how things really changed. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, people are talking about, like, fire JBL. And I'm not looking to get JBL fired, uh, and firing won't do anything. They've fired guys in the past just to, you know, take the heat off the company for a short time. Um, basically, that's just the culture there. There's a bullying culture, uh, bullying mentality from upper management, and it goes down from upper management, and that does go on in many different forms. There are many different forms of bullying and you know, the, the constant uh, threat of heat, that's, that's something that's real. And it's something that upper management uses all the time to keep people in line. And, and that's something that still goes on. So while the JBL type of stuff behind the scenes isn't what it used to be, um, there's still, there's, you know, there's still bullying that goes on. And uh, obviously if the speculation is that, you know, he was bullying Moro and if that happened, then, you know, that happened. So I don't know because um, I wasn't there. So uh, it's, it, even though it's outdated from 2003, um, 
still very much relevant. Absolutely, yeah. And if it happened in your life, oh, I followed you. I followed you every step of the way, every syllable, every word you said, because uh, it might have happened in 2003, but it doesn't matter um, if it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's going to have a lasting impact on your life, especially if it was felt to be in a negative light at that point. Now, in 2003, you know, we're not too far apart, I don't think, in terms of uh, age. So I know that you were very young coming into the wrestling business. Obviously, it was your dream, and the book is going to detail how your dream came true. But, you know, we've heard things in the past. We've interviewed Renee Dupree, who suffered some of the same uh, tactics coming into the company around the same time, uh, maybe a little bit after, but, you know, at a very young age. So, obviously, you know, maybe not with the best, uh, I don't know, not head on his shoulders, but maybe not the right advice going in. So there was obviously somewhat of a target or some kind of a type, but, you know, did you feel like any of the defense mechanisms you had at that point were uh, helping, or was it until a guy like Tommy Dreamer came into the locker room that really uh, was there by your side and was somebody that you can kind of uh, go to and, you know, be like, hey, you know, this has to stop? There was nothing that uh, that I could do to stop it. You know, I, I just took it thinking, okay, you just take it and it goes away. You're not supposed to sell it. Just keep going. Uh, and I kept taking it and taking it and taking it. It never went away. Um over time, I just think they realized that I wasn't going anywhere and um, I wasn't going to do anything. So eventually, like, it just it kind of went on in the background. And then uh, once Joey Styles and JBL had their altercation on that plane, that's when, you know, shortly after, JBL was gone. And that's when the problems really just, you know, everything started to change. And it's amazing to see how the locker room has changed so much and everybody always talks about it. You talk to the older guys, they say, oh, well, it's not the same. You talk to the newer guys, they love it. We get to see kind of a, a fostered friendship, a kinship, if you will, with the guys that are all coming through uh, the Performance Center together. You can kind of tell how much they really root for each other, whereas even in 2003, business was a tad bit more uh, cutthroat. But you know, as you were on your way out, did you definitely see that difference in the locker room between 2003 and obviously when you left the company? I mean, then it opened up a whole new ball game because there's the guys who worked for a long time to get there and got there and were kind of being thrown to the side because Hunter was just trying to take care of the NXT guys and kind of, I don't want to say holding down, but holding down the other guys and just trying to put the NXT guys in. And the NXT guys were coming in. Um, they weren't coming in and, you know, shaking everybody's hands and, and doing what everybody else did who came before them. So now you have these guys who came in who were um, at an advantage because they were Hunter's guys. So uh, it just it created for, for an interesting workplace. The, uh, the common theme that we've been running into a lot on this show is that Ten years ago or 15 years ago, uh, Triple H is the guy who was known as the barrier of talent. Now he's known as the foster uh, father of professional wrestling and bringing back a lot of your favorites, making sure a lot of these new guys, uh, these top indie guys, are now getting into the company at some point. So it's kind of weird to see uh, the journey. Well, yeah, that your but that's, that's the, people, the people on the outside who look at him and think that he is this hero that he portrays himself to be by bringing certain guys back and by pushing guys. And, you know, everyone thinks, oh, Vince is ruining the company, but Hunter's trying to do what's best for the company. 
<clears throat> but as somebody who's been there and who knows that that is not entirely true at all, and knowing what he's done to a lot of the talent that's there and kept them down to make his NXT talent look better, um, I can say he's, he's not the savior and, and not the hero that the internet portrays him to be, um, but that's a, a whole other story. <laughs> Yeah, so what happened? I mean, where is this? I mean, this came out of the blue, and, you know, John and I, as being you know, more of the, the old-school fan or, you know, guy, we have more connection to, you know, well, I guess you can't even say, I mean, it's tough to say older because, you know, we're in that same generation that you are, but this was not a guy who was the friend of the wrestling fan or the Internet wrestling fan especially, and it's completely changed, but it, was it this? Yeah, this is the guy who's this? making fun of the indie guys that he's now taking pictures with. But all of a sudden now, when I think they realize that the football players and these guys who didn't know anything about wrestling that they were hiring for the performance center, when that wasn't going so well, uh, and you just turned to the guys that were already over, and that way it made him uh, look good to the internet, and the internet has accepted him because he's running with the guys that the internet uh, pushes, which you know, there's a lot of great guys. It's It's not to say anything bad on those guys, it's just he was never for that in the past. And then all of a sudden now he's, he's a different guy. John and I actually uh, went over uh, off air. We were doing some show prep a few weeks back. We went through the list of the guys at one pay-per-view span of about six months around 2002, the beginning of 2003 that he just beat. He just beat one, two, three. Now these, all these, all these guys are going in the hall of fame and they're, they're legends. But what was the big thing that really was like that stood out to you with him and this internet wrestling fandom uh, kind of turning the corner? Was there one particular thing that he did that really stood out to you that you know these fans just don't really see what the real Triple H was all about? I mean, there's a couple of things that come to mind, which I talk about in the book. When he was going to be wrestling The Undertaker at WrestleMania, he basically said that he went in the locker room and he looked around and there was nobody for him, nobody at his level besides The Undertaker. Um, so here's the guy who's like in charge of building the talent, saying that no talent is up to his level, and that's why he had to fight The Undertaker at WrestleMania. At the same time, when they did that storyline with the roster walking out on the company, uh, he basically came in the ring and said how everybody's outside, but he could have a, a better match with a broomstick than most of the guys out there anyway. I mean, he's, he's always doing whatever it takes to make himself look like Superman, and to put everybody else down. Um, he just, he's probably the most insecure person I've ever met. Um, he constantly needs people around him telling him how great his ideas are and laughing at his jokes. And um, he buries talent. He really buries talent, but then he can cover up because now he's putting over his talent. And you can't say that he's burying talent because he's putting certain talents over. Now, with Triple H, the funny thing is, and I don't think these newer fans realize this, he's kind of saying him being on the same level as Taker or him thinking he's on the same level as Taker is, is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say laughable, but close to it, um, just from longevity, uh, being a main event or stuff like that, because Triple H was never the guy. He was always the guy who worked uh, as a... Yeah, no that's, what every, that's what all of the guys will tell you, too. A lot of the guys will tell you that. It's just funny how, like, almost revisionist history, because, you know, in the position he's in, The Rock was the guy, Steve Austin was the guy, and Triple H was the guy working with those guys. So wouldn't you say it, it's, it's basically almost revisionist history? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and they create this, this role for him to be the top guy because nobody's going to challenge it. That's what Vince pushes and that's what he pushes. So he's always the best. Yeah, think about it. Uh, he beat Sting a couple of years ago. That, uh, even Hall and Nash were quoted as saying that was insane, that uh, obviously Sting should have won. Uh, he beat Goldberg at one yeah. point when Goldberg was at his hottest. He beat Lesnar when Lesnar came back. He beat back. Brock, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. He, he has to beat everybody because he's always the best. He's the guy. It's funny. The, the one guy uh, throughout the years there that refused to job to him was Hogan. And that's just great because Hogan said he wasn't quite at his level. And uh, <laughs> I know I always thought that was funny. You know, Hogan was the one guy with political power over him. <laughs> you know, B- Booker T, uh, Kane, Scott Steiner, RVD, all those guys, that he, uh, Jericho at one point, all those guys that kind of, you know, are looked at it as, by us as such a, you know, great stars, but he had to beat them. Do you think that was the case that he just – you know, he has to beat those guys? Yeah, of course, because he has to be the best. Well, you know, I could, I could go, keep going on and on and naming guys he buried, but I, I want to, you know, tie it back <laughs> into the book and, and kind of go over that. You, you know, it's kind of getting a little bit of think that it's a controversial book, but I don't think it's very controversial at all. It's, it's more your story. Do you no, think the, that the only people who say it's controversial are are people who haven't read it. If you've read it, then you know that it's just, it's an honest story. And everybody who's read it has said it's fair. It's balanced. It's uh, it, cause it is, it's not, um, it's, it's not controversial. I mean, if it's, if it's giving you new information that maybe you didn't know about, and that's one thing, but it's not meant to be controversial. It's just an honest story. And, and people sometimes aren't used to hearing the truth because when you come out with the truth, like the stuff we were just talking about, the Triple H, like, oh, you're bitter, what do you know? Um, but when you're there and you see everything happen, you can just honestly say from a first-hand perspective, this is what it's like. And if people are going to argue about it, they weren't there. Uh, but also you don't hear a lot of people saying those kinds of things because nobody wants to upset Triple H. I mean, he's like the, the top guy behind the scenes at the company, so you don't want to upset him because, you know, all these guys and girls want to go back and they don't know, they don't want to make waves. They don't want to upset anybody. So they just don't really say anything. Now, you know, when you originally, you know, basically let's, you know, kind of start at the beginning of the journey, just a little bit of the book. When you first got to WWE, who was like the guy making the call to you? Is it a Triple H that hired you or is it somebody else? No, um, I was hired through Kevin Dunn's office. So kind of, how does that go? I mean, your your call matches on the Kevin Dunn was in charge of uh, Kevin Dunn was in charge of the announcers back then. But your your question was, how did I get there? Yes, yes. Um, I had worked in the independents since I was sixteen, so I worked my way up from uh, independents sixteen to announcing anything I could and uh, just various different um, contests, like tough men contests from FX, uh, just anything I could announce. So when I graduated college in 22, uh, when I was 22, I had been making them crazy. I'd been sending them videotapes and resumes for years. And um, after I graduated, that's when I, I finally heard back and they said, hey, we're, we're going to give you a tryout. So uh, I had a tryout uh, and then had another tryout the next day. And then uh, actually John Cena 
his dark match was my first announcement. That was my tryout. So uh, then it just kind of, it didn't happen right away. It, it, over time, they would use me here and there and try me for different things. And uh, in 2004 is when I went full-time. Now, you say you get hired by Kevin Dunn's office. Is there any interaction between yourself and Kevin Dunn at any point? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we talked at my tryout, and then we had talked afterwards. What's kind of the relationship there with him? Uh, obviously, you know, uh, us on this show, we've had uh, some good experiences with him, but we know a lot of former guests, and a lot of other people have some bad experiences with him. So kind of what was your experience like with Kevin Dunn? It was pretty bad. I mean, he was nice to me sometimes, but he, he treated me uh, pretty badly. I tell stories in the book of what went on and, you know, things that he promised and, and said that he would do that he didn't follow through on and just the way he would talk to me and berate me. And, um, yeah, it's pretty negative. With, you know, Kevin Dunn, obviously, you know, he's kind of the number two guy or so to speak, or was the number two guy behind Vince. Do you kind of, you know, lose a little confidence there when he's doing that stuff, or you kind of just go apart your day and you're going to basically show it? No, you just, your, your, you just take it because that's just how he is, and it, it doesn't really it doesn't mean that they don't like you or that you're going to lose your job. It's just that's how they treat people. So you just kind of take it and, uh, and, and collect your paycheck and show up the next day for work again. But on the positive note, you know, let's try to, you know, get into more positive things here. With, with the, that's the thing. Like, I mean, this they, book is, it, there's so many positive things in the book, but because people like to talk about, you know, the, the stuff that's relevant now, which I totally understand because the negative stuff is what people bite on. But there's so much positive stuff. I mean, just a, a lifelong wrestling fan who got to actually work in the company and the things that I was able to do in the company and the guys I was able to uh, announce for and, uh, the shows, the pay-per-views that I was able to announce on. and uh, I, Looking right now, I have this Monday Night Raw poster that I used to have on my bedroom wall when I was a kid. And it's now on my office wall. And to think I was the announcer of that show for uh, however many years, it's uh, it's awesome. It's really incredible. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're there full-time. You said since, you know, 2004 until you left. But being a fan and kind of then getting into the ring and being the announcer for as long as you were, was that somewhat surreal for you? You know, being, being the, like you said, the fan of Monday Night Raw and all of a sudden being a voice on Monday Night Raw? It was awesome. It, I would look in that ring and it never got old. Like, I would get in the ring and look around and be like, this is the ring that I used to watch on TV and now I get to do this. And uh, I would look around all the time and just take it in because I knew it could end at any time. No matter how good of a position I was in, I knew that it could end at any time, and I always thought, this is awesome. And I got to be a fan. I, I never stopped being a fan while I was there, so I would be a total fan when cool things were happening in the storylines. You know, somebody was coming back, or a feud was really on fire. Just It was awesome. I was still a fan sitting there. Now, what does that raw poster look like? Because I'm curious, because I probably may have had the same one. They're about the same age. So I'm thinking it's uh, it's one of those where uh, I'm guessing it was in a magazine, maybe Raw magazine or just a WF magazine, where it was folded up. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It looks like about eight pages worth. And it's the black background with the 
red bar at the top with the white WBF logo in the middle. And then right underneath it, it says Monday night in white writing. And then uh, the uh, red raw, which was the sign that used to be the entranceway. It says WBF Monday night raw. The original logo. Some good stuff right there. That's uh, some classic stuff. <laughs> I remember that very, very well. Were you always more of a WWF guy, or did you kind of like NWA and, and other leagues as well? I loved wrestling. So any wrestling that I could find, I'd watch. Whether it was Glow Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, WWF, WCW, Global Wrestling, USWA. Uh, I lived in Chicago, so um, we didn't have a ton of wrestling, but whatever we did have, I watched it. I loved watching all wrestling. Same here. I mean, uh, such a great time to be a fan, kind of, when we were growing up in the business. It was almost more of the, the golden era with all those guys. Yeah, I mean, that that early 90s era, I love that. 91, 92, 93, 94, 95. That was awesome. Awesome. I can still go I wish back. they would go back to those days, those larger-than-life <laughs> characters, right? right? I mean, exactly. I love those. You get in trouble for being too over top, over the top nowadays. I used to get uh, in trouble for being too over the top with my announcements, and I would, I'd be like, "Wait, this is coming from Vince, the most over-the-top announcer that I loved watching on TV." And he's telling me I'm too over the top, and to tone it down, and basically give like mediocre introductions. They were, oh, what a maneuver, and I'll race that for right. And, you know, he, he was pretty over the top. Pretty crazy that he'd be saying that of all people. Right. It's funny uh, uh, the way, you know, that goes sometimes. But is there anybody who you would, you know, when you would announce, anybody you would get super excited for that you were over the top, but you almost didn't kind of realize because you were, speaking, you know, kind of such a fan of the guy? Uh, there were a lot. I was I was a fan of <clears throat> most of the guys. Um, so talented. Uh, those guys and girls work so hard, and they're really, really, really good. And I got to see what not everybody else got to see. I got to see it night after night, and and house shows, and um, where they could actually shine, and and they weren't being told don't do this or don't do that. So I knew what they were capable of, and um, I was just a huge fan of of everybody. They were awesome, really talented guys and girls. One guy in particular, and I wanted to bring it back to, and I know we talked about him before, but whenever I look at somebody's book, I always want to see, I, like, hmm, I wonder who wrote their forward, because I know that there's a lot that goes into that. There's a big respect factor. There's a big admiration and kind of a mutual you know, respect between the guys, whoever's going to write the forward. Yours was Tommy Dreamer. What kind of relationship did you have with Tommy Dreamer? What was it like for him to write the forward for you? So Tommy came in, and he had been in talent relations um, but, like, I don't know how long he was there. I, I never dealt with talent relations, Tommy. Um, when I came in, it was – well, I had been there. But when I started – when they started the ECW brand, that's when I really started talking to Tommy. I think we had met a couple times before that. and um, He just approached me in his monotone voice and was very much like, Justin Roberts, I heard about some of the stuff that went on with you, and I'm sorry you had to go through that. And, like – just really cool to me. And um, when we started doing ECW, I knew that he was the guy that all the ECW guys were going to. He was like like the leader. He just, everybody went to Tommy for everything. 
And I was just always cordial with him, and he would make conversation with me. And uh, we were in Jackson, Tennessee, and he goes, Will Farrell is a close personal friend of mine, and whatever, whatever. I go, whoa, you're, you're friends with Will Farrell, And he goes, well, no, but I watch all of his movies, and I feel like I know him, and, like, he's a close personal friend of mine. And, like, I just started laughing, <laughs> and I realized he just has a, a super dry sense of humor, but he's always being funny. And I just wanted to hang around him. So I would hang around him and follow him. And uh, then we started driving together at times. And everything he did was funny. He just likes to make his friends laugh. So he became my really good friend. And uh, I didn't have, it was the first time I had a really good friend in wrestling. Because it's, you know, it could be cutthroat and you just don't know who to trust. And I just always trusted him. And he was always just a really great guy. Um, we would make each other laugh at ringside. You know, I talk about a lot of stuff that he did in the back and how I feel like he single-handedly changed the dressing room. And um, he's just such a great guy. And we've been good friends ever since. And uh, when it came time for the book, I wanted a forward. Like, when I found out, like, oh, you can have a forward, the first person I thought of was Tommy. I, I knew for sure that Tommy – I didn't know how I would have multiple forwards, but I knew – the main forward was going to be Tommy if you wanted to do it. So when I asked him, he said yes. And, uh, and it's a really touching forward. And when he sent it to me, he sent it as an email. And as I was reading it, like tearing up, and then I got another email right after from him and I started reading the other email and I had tears in my eye from the first one. And then he sent me a full, like funny forward filled with inside jokes between us that just was hysterical. So I'm like laughing so hard that I'm shaking. My phone is shaking. I was reading off my phone and it's just shaking because I'm laughing so hard, but I also can't see it very well because I have tears in my eye from the first one. So it's just really Tommy, really Tommy. <laughs> a really nice forward and then a funny one that I didn't uh, post. He is great. And the more people talk about him, the more you see how much respect is out there for him and how much of a kind of a godfather-like figure he is to so much of the younger guys, especially guys that have, you know, either wrestled him in TNA or WWE or had your experience with him or even now with House of Hardcore. So you've kind of been staying with him ever since. And what's it like working for him now? Uh, well, I, I don't. Uh, I did a couple shows when I first left, but... Um... I haven't done much wrestling since. So when I did do the couple of shows, it's great. And like you said, everybody does look up to him. Everybody respects him. Uh, he's just a great guy. And I'm a huge fan of the shows that he runs because he runs them really well. He puts thought into everything he does. And uh, he has a hell of a promotion. And all of his shows do great. And um, I couldn't be happier for him. I wish he would get a major network because uh, that show's great, all the shows that he runs, and it, it should be on a major network. Now, you say you haven't been doing much wrestling lately. I, I saw you at uh, CBS not too long ago in a boxing ring. You like kind of venturing out, doing some MMA, doing some boxing, doing some other things outside of the wrestling business? Yeah, I was you know tied into WWE for so long that I couldn't really see what's out there. Like, I don't know what else I have passion for. So I'm trying to figure out what else is out there, what else I enjoy doing. So 
I've been announcing for CBS Sports, doing some boxing shows, and I love it because they want you to go out there and do a good job. It's a great team of very talented guys, and the producer who puts us all together, just a really, really great guy. He wants the absolute best product. So he takes everybody's feedback and considers it, and uh, just everybody works together to make a solid show. I mean, Jim Ross from wrestling, Al Bernstein from boxing, Sean Wheelock from MMA, Joey Varner from MMA. So it's just a, a really interesting team doing this boxing show. So uh, that's fun. Um, I'm about to go on my third tour with Tool, the music group, and um, that'll be in May. That's a lot of fun. Probably do some book signings off that tour. Um, you know, just anything that pops up that sounds fun. I've done some TV shows, a lot of voiceovers, which voiceovers are great because we just knock those out from home, don't have to travel. And uh, just anything that pops up that sounds fun. That is awesome. Great to hear. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff, a lot of different ventures you're kind of working in. When you're the, you know, the ring announcer for all these different things, do you kind of have any inspiration or anybody you kind of like look up to, like for boxing, would you be like a Jimmy Lennon Jr. or a Michael Buffer, or do you kind of go to your wrestling roots and kind of just maybe like a Howard Finkel type or, or, or maybe Gary Michael Corretta, something somebody like that? And try to do what's not traditional, just what feels right. Don't do what, what's been done for so many years because that's just how it's been done. If there's a reason to do something differently, I just do that. So, uh, I, I take my style from wrestling and bring it to the boxing world and just do whatever feels right and play around with it. And, uh, I mean, at the last boxing show, I was treating the guy in the main event, one guy like a heel and one guy like a baby face, which I don't think normally happens in boxing, but why not? <laughs> it, just, <laughs> uh, it just felt right in that situation. And uh, there's a, an Olympic bronze medalist who was in the main event. And he was in his hometown, and, you know, big baby face. So why not make the other guy the heel? And um, the crowd loved it. It was, uh, it was a really exciting show. But stuff like that, the, uh, the producer who we work for is just awesome and, and encourages whatever we feel is going to be best for the show just to do it. That is awesome. And when you're kind of, you know, branding yourself or making your own style as an announcer and, and kind of creating your own voice. What kind, of, what kind of like prep work do you do? Is it something it's just all mental or is it something you work on physical? Like, oh, I'm going to try out this. I'm going to see how it goes. Or is it just like kind of playing it on the fly and like, oh, I'm just going to try this out. Honestly, I couldn't practice if my life depended on it. Um, I would think about that once in a while. Like, Oh, how will I introduce this person? How will I, and, until you're in the middle of the ring on that sound system with that crowd behind you and their reactions, you just would, it, it's really weird, but whatever comes out is what comes out. Whatever naturally should come out. Uh, I didn't, I didn't plan how I would announce certain guys. I just did it. And if it felt good, I would do it that way again. And if it didn't, you know, I might listen back. So I would watch every show back the next day after it aired. And uh, I would always critique myself and say, oh, I didn't like this, or, ooh, I like this. And uh, I would, every week, every week, I would watch my work back and fix what I didn't like or keep what I didn't like. So I, I never planned for it because it's just something that came naturally when you're in the environment. With you in particular, you kind of remind me of, like, an old-school announcer as far as, you know, I'm concerned, like, like a Howard Finkel, like these Ladies questions. and gentlemen. 
you know, like the, uh, the the passion is there, the inflection is there. You know, like I I just I mean maybe it's like the the, the manly voice or something because a lot of females, especially the ones WB has now or did have, um, I don't know, they're not hitting the mark. They're not getting the right inflection. They're not kind of as passionate. Do you think your passion kind of made you like the better announcer than, than the rest? Uh, I mean, I don't want to compare myself to anybody else and say I'm better than anybody, but I think my passion did come through in my announcing, passionate about what I was doing. So, yeah, not to, uh, not to compare myself to other announcers, but just to say, yeah, I was very passionate when I was announcing. And, um, but at the same time, like I said, I was, I was told to tone it down and I wasn't supposed to be passionate about announcing. So, it's almost like they wanted people to go out there and just do the job and get it done, but not put a lot into it. Well, that uh, that little call you just made, that was almost reminiscent of the old uh, Howard Finkel uh, late 70s, early 80s uh, MSG calls, you know, with the, uh, the, the over... Uh, the overtuned bell and uh, and him said the time five minutes forty seconds. That's uh. You know what's, what's funny it. is I do, I do voiceovers and um, I got an audition for a ring announcer. It looked like a boxing ring announcer for Powerade. So I was at the gym and the uh, the agent in California had said this and she said, "Hey, I, I need this right away." So I walked into the sauna and uh, I made the announcement. I, I read the script on my phone and recorded it on my phone, and sent it out to them. I said, you know what, just for the hell of it, if it's a boxing, vo- if, if it's a boxing ring announcer, uh, I'm going to do that voice. So, ladies and gentlemen, I did one more take with that voice, and I ended up booking the commercial for Powerade with that voice. It was a Derrick Rose commercial. Um, <laughs> it was the, just, just a kid from Chicago. Um so I, I thought it was a, a boxing commercial. I think it, the idea was that it was a boxing announcer and it's Derek Rose walking through the arena and then he comes out into the court. But that's the voice that they went with. So ended up uh, getting that on a, a national deal. Huh. <laughs> that's, that's great. That was always one of my favorite things you'd grab. The, uh, when the Coliseum videos threw on the old classic, uh, you know, early 80s MSG stuff, and you'd hear that. I, that was my favorite part of those uh those tastes to hear the thing kind of going with that higher pitch that he used to have. But, you know, your style with that was always so unique. And when you moved to ECW, you know, you were able to kind of fit in the extreme rules, you know, kind of accentuate some of the, uh, the, the letters there, but was getting that opportunity uh, a real big deal for you? Because ECW, we've, you know, we've beat it to death. We've all talked about what the revival was supposed to be, but was you getting that the big opportunity at that point in 2006? That was huge. Uh, I was basically the fill-in guy, and I was doing Sunday Night Heat regularly. I was working the thing was working the Raw house shows at the time, and then just doing Sunday Night Heat, and and then that was it. And once ECW came along, I had my own TV show. I I wasn't the fill-in guy; like I was able to do one of the TV shows, which was great. And ECW turned out to be one of my favorite times in the company. It was uh, it was so much fun, so much fun. And uh, that was a huge break for me. And then from ECW, I moved up to SmackDown, and then from SmackDown, moved up to Raw. And uh, that's where I finished up my double-double E career. <laughs> Great little call to uh, Vladimir Kozlov there, the double-double E. But, uh, oh. 
Yeah, you made in those raws, you know, kind of touching the old school flavor. Those old school raws, those were another cool, fun thing as a fan growing up. You know, they they sprinkled in some surprises, but you got to dress up in the old school style uh, frilly tuxedo with the wig. Was that something that you just absolutely loved? So, I loved the old school raw because all those guys came back, so that was awesome. The fan in me was just, this is awesome. Them having me dress as a 70s announcer for a show that was from the 90s, <laughs> that didn't make sense, but I think it was just their idea of a rib, so whatever. But, because I, I said, like, all right, so I'm going to dress as a 1970s-looking announcer for a show that started in the early 90s. No problem. And then I think for one show they let me do, like, I go, well, Howard wore a tuxedo with a bow tie, so if I could just do that, and I think we got to do that at one of them. But yeah, they, they'd bring back all those guys. I mean, they'd end up just, like, having them dance around in backstage segments or at ringside, but just it was cool that they were there. It was cool to have them on the show, and when I got to, like, go through and announce the lineup of all of them, like, name after name, that was awesome. Awesome. I was on Monday Night Raw announcing all these guys from my childhood. That that lineup was pretty great, and the the one that you you know you referenced kind of dancing there was uh, was Tatanka, and if anybody remembers back at that point, social media was kind of in its infancy, but Tatanka was uh, telling people he's making his raw return, it's gonna be a big spot, and then he ended up just dancing in the back of uh, one of the sketches with Dusty Rhodes and a couple of the other folks. Uh, but that lineup was crazy. I mean, that was your childhood right there. That was all the biggies. But was there ever one name? that you just got butterflies in your stomach as you were about to announce it for the first time? Uh, Hulk Hogan. I had been waiting for that for so long. Uh, Goldberg, when I did that in, like, 2004-ish. Um, the Rock. Um, first time I got to do that. Um, those are just a few of the names. But, yeah, that was awesome. You were uh, you were ringside for quite a few of those great uh, return of Hulkamania uh, moments over those uh, that little span that he had coming back around uh, 2005, where you know those some of those Monday Night Raws and some of those appearances that he had were just uh, they were very memorable. And John and I attended a lot of them, and it was quite a summertime uh, to be back uh, involved with Hulkamania. But another thing, and just kind of mentioning social media, when you were always ringside, you were always interacting with the fans. You were always, people were taking selfies with you. They were posting them all over the place. Talk about, if you can, a little bit more, that special relationship that you've had with the fans. And just basically, you know, as a fan yourself, you know what it's like to get that interaction. But you basically, you know, you would touch the life of a child with every show you had. Was that something that just meant the absolute world to you? The best part of the job was uh, just seeing people's faces light up and, um, like, how easy it was for for somebody to meet a wrestler, see a wrestler, or get somebody's armband from a wrestler. And that was awesome. It was so easy to make people happy. Um, you know, on my end, if I, if I could give somebody something or take a picture with somebody, like, I know what they felt like because I was sitting there and watching every show – with them. I was sitting and watching every show literally with them before I was doing my job, you know, before I made it to the job, I was sitting in the crowd and I know exactly what they're thinking. So I was always a fan the whole time I worked there. So when I was taking pictures and hanging out with fans at ringside, like I'm a fan just hanging out with other fans. We spoke the same language. So 
it was just fun. It was, it was just fun hanging out and, and doing that kind of stuff. And like I said, just so easy to make people happy. It was uh, it was always cool, whether it was a house show or whether it was at Raw. You'd always see, uh, no matter what town it was, that the uh, the selfies would start pouring in from the folks at ringside, and uh, the interactions are great. <laughs> I know, you know, the one time I was able to sneak down to the front row at the Meadowlands and see what Ahmed Johnson looked like up close was, uh, at that point in time, was, uh, was kind of mind-boggling. But, you know, I'm sure there's a fan or two out there that you might have inspired to kind of, you know, maybe get behind the microphone or get uh, into the wrestling business somehow. But, you know, what's that advice that you give to an aspiring broadcaster who either wants to be a wrestling announcer or a sports announcer? What's kind of the, uh, the path that you send them down? Tell them to follow their dreams and uh, to announce anything they can. And if they want it bad enough, they could get it. They just have to go for it and, you know, put themselves out there. So tell everybody, um, don't follow your dreams. Anything and everything is possible, and, and I really stand behind that. And following dreams and all these great things we talked about, we've got to mention your first WrestleMania. And kind of tell us, walk us through that if you can, what it was like. You know, we can't beat it into the ground enough that you were a big fan, and I'm sure you cover this all in the book, but, you know, stepping through the curtain for a WrestleMania, looking out into the entire field and, at that point, uh, WWE had not really begun to do the stadiums on a big uh, level, but they were starting to. But the first time you're able to walk through the curtain for WrestleMania, what is going through the mind of Justin Roberts? Uh, that would be WrestleMania 23. So it, it was in the stadium. Um, it was supposed to be WrestleMania in L.A., but it, it ended up being 23 in Detroit. So uh, it was almost like, is this really going to happen? Because... I had been told a couple different times that I was going to be doing Mania. So when I actually went out there, I wasn't 100% positive that it was going to be happening. So um, when it actually happened and I walked down to the ring and I just kind of sat there for the show, uh, I think we were like segment shortly after like Donald, oh no, it was before Donald Trump. I just remember being down there with Donald Trump, um, just taking it all in, taking every part of that in. And the match before us was actually Undertaker and Batista. And, um, I ended up running from The Undertaker and ended up, like, falling, and JR's tea had spilled. So my pants were drenched from falling in JR's tea. So I can <laughs> honestly say that I wet my pants at WrestleMania uh, right before <laughs> I went in the ring to make my WrestleMania debut. So standing in the middle of the ring looking out to see a people was awesome. Um, and my pants were wet from T. <laughs> what, a, what a WrestleMania moment. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool because uh, Jim Ross's wife, Jan Ross, uh, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life, not just in wrestling, just ever. Uh, she's awesome. And she and I were talking about the book last summer, and she said, you know, make sure you, you tell us as, as your audience, I want to know what it felt like when you got in the ring at WrestleMania. And so when I put that in the book, that was for her. That was, um, she gave me the idea that people want to know what it's like. So um, make sure to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's awesome. And then if you look at WrestleMania 24, the next year, the main event is Undertaker versus Edge. And you're right there in the middle announcing that. So what was that experience like? Yeah, I went from announcing the ECW match in the middle of the show at Mania 23 to announcing the main event at WrestleMania 24. 
Uh, it was awesome. That was unbelievable. And uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with had come out to Florida. So uh, it was cool. Like we used to go to shows together and he was right there watching. All of a sudden I'm in the middle of the ring announcing the undertaker to the ring at WrestleMania, which just, that became one of my favorite introductions. And um, it was always my favorite just as a kid, but then to be a part of it, a very small part of it was awesome. So cool to be a fan and then become an announcer and work for WWE, but then to be in the rest WrestleMania. And then on top of that, you're the announcer for the main event, something that will go down in history that so many people will remember, especially given the fact that Undertaker was a part of the main event. And now you look at Undertaker, who's possibly retired after this WrestleMania. Do you look back and say, you know, wow, you know, what a run by this guy, the Undertaker, and, and I was able to be a part of that run? I actually just wrote a whole article for Sports Illustrated, which I oh, think is supposed to come out tomorrow. Um, it was supposed to come out last week, and then... Uh, some things came up, and uh, supposedly it's coming up tomorrow. And if it does, I think you'll enjoy it because it tells the story about how Undertaker has just always been there from when I first started watching wrestling to, you know, the last show that I watched, which was WrestleMania. And uh, he's just always there. And now if he's gone, it's just like it's kind of sad. So uh, check that out on sportsillustrated.com. Lee, it is up on Wednesday. Definitely check that out. And with him quote-unquote retiring this year that's what we think anyway he uh, you know obviously he hasn't said anything but this is definitely the end of an era do you feel like it's almost a uh you know to say a chapter in the book but almost like a, a book is closing on our childhood so to speak yeah yeah i really do i feel like it's been awesome for a long time and um you know it's a lot different now and um this is what people are used to and this might be what what's hot now like you see like a lot of the indies that are really hot so if that's what this uh the new generation is that's great they'll be talking about this the same way that we're talking about what we talk about so uh it's uh it, everything evolves over time and i love the wrestling that we uh that we grew up on and that's why i got involved and um you know who knows what the future will hold Definitely, and, you know, just to ask, you know, skip forward a little bit, but ask about WrestleMania again because of WrestleMania 27. Was that a whole different experience altogether, being basically you know, the main announcer for most of the show? Uh, is that the one that I did the whole show? That was crazy, um, and I think I did a couple of them by myself. Even when Lillian came back uh, at 28, maybe, there's one where she came back, I think it was 28, and... Uh, and she just sang, and they had me announce the show as well. So uh, it, that was mind-blowing. I, I believe there were two WrestleManias where I did the entire show myself, and uh, that was unbelievable. That was, first off, it was a full plate. There was a lot, you know, because you had to memorize everything, so there was a lot to memorize, and uh, there was a lot of pressure. But knocked it out of the park and enjoyed it and took it in, and it was, uh, it was awesome. Really cool feeling. Pretty surreal. Definitely not to have the park, and very cool that you were able to do that and experience that. Do you hate the memorization part? Do you rather just do it off the cuff? Yes. The memorization is, I don't know, I, even though I never had a problem, like I, I was able to memorize everything, just the 
pressure of memorizing something. And I don't know, when I winged it, it just it felt better. But uh, you did what you had to do and certain things like certain guest host introductions and memorizing their biographies to, uh, to announce or the rules for the matches. Like, I don't seem to notice that on TV anymore. Uh, I don't notice the ring announcers having long introductions with a bunch of rules. And um, it's, I don't know, maybe they decided that they could just let the commentators get that over and they don't need the ring announcers to, to read all of those rules and long announcements. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff every week, uh, almost every week. Do you feel like the ring announcer role is kind of, you know, decreasing in in a way and in a sense in the WWE? Um, they never put much stake in the ring announcers, just like anybody could do it. Um, anybody could do it. They just want somebody to go out there and do what they're told to do and not question anything. And uh, they they have the mentality that anyone could do it. So it's just um, not a role that they really respect, which is fine. Don't you think, though, when you have a good ring announcer like yourself or even like a Howard Finkel, it enhances the match, especially, and new or, you know, and, you know, and remain there and still, champion, you know, they add so much to the beginning of the match and they add so much to the end of the match. Do you feel like that is kind of a, a, a key point, especially? I do, in I life? do, and there's an art to it as well, and, you know, there's a lot of psychology that I put into the ring announcements that I made and everything was different and everything had a reason for why I was announcing something the way I was, but, um, they didn't appreciate it. A lot of times they didn't like it. They would say, you know, tone it down, tone it down, tone it down. So I would go from the suicidal, homicidal, genocidal, death defying Sabu to the suicidal, homicidal, genocidal, death defying Sabu. Was that better? Yes. Okay. So that's what they wanted. I would get in trouble for popping the crowd. Good evening, New York City! Woo! And I'd get in trouble because they said the crowd only has so many pops in them. And uh, they didn't want to waste the pops on my ring announcements. Huh. Crazy. I remember going to shows as a kid and Howard Finkel would be popping the crowd. You know, the, the next time we're in the Madison Square Garden, you'll see... Iron Mike Sharp versus Coco Beware, you know, and, and the the crowd would would uh, you know, be into that. Iron, Iron Mike Sharp versus the Birdman Coco Beware, and the crowd would go crazy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my God, I just thought you were Howard Finkel for a second. Oh my God, exactly. The ring announcer is it's so important. It's such a vital role, and there's so much to it. I feel like um, they're really missing out in a key cog in wrestling. Well, can't tell them how to run the company, right? Yep, that is true. But as I uh, as I start to wind it down a bit here with you, I mean, it's great to talk about kind of old school wrestling, going through whether it be you know some Howard Finkel impersonation stuff like that. But always curious with with a guy like you with such a long fandom. Who is kind of who would you say your favorite of all time? Is there maybe a couple of favorites? Is there somebody sticks out more than others? Favorite announcer or like, wrestler or no favorite favorite wrestler? Favorite wrestler. I was never able to pick a favorite wrestler. I always had a lot of favorites. 
Um, I mean, Mr. Perfect was always one of my favorites. Ultimate Warrior, Undertaker, uh, Stone Cold, Rock, Jake the Snake, Million Dollar Man, uh, Hacksaw, Bushwhackers, Roddy Piper, Ric Flair. I liked everybody. I really did. I liked everybody. Everybody was my favorite. And I know that's a horrible answer, but it's true. I was entertained by everybody. How about so you? Many you good favorite? So many good ones. Uh, I might have to go with the Hulkster. He's just, you know, since uh, I first laid eyes on him in about 1985, I've been, uh, you know, pretty much obsessed with him ever since. So I might have to go with the Hulkster on that one. Okay. He's great. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong there. But I do also love, you know, Macho Man, and you got the Stinger, you got Bret Hart. I mean, there's, like you said, there's so many good ones that stick out. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you, have, you have a favorite match or maybe a couple of favorite matches as a fan? Like, looking back, anything sticks out? I always say that WrestleMania 8 was my favorite WrestleMania, and, like, Royal Rumble 92 is my favorite Royal Rumble. Um, can I pick those? Now, as far as, as an announcer and in your career, kind of an underrated guy that we wouldn't think of, who was your favorite guy to announce? Like, maybe... Like you said, that the the uh, homicidal suicidal suicidal—that's such a great kind of thing to say. But who would you think is your favorite guy that you got to announce? Cause kind of an under the radar guy. Under the radar guy. Well, I'd give the the big big introductions—the Batistas, the Jeff Hardys, the Undertakers. You know, those were guys who weren't underrated. They they got a huge response and they got a huge announcement to go with it. I I didn't usually give like there were a lot of really great underrated guys. I mean, Cesaro, if I was running a company, Cesaro would be my champion. Um, but I didn't give him like a huge introduction. I gave him, I gave, I tried to give everybody a great introduction, but it was like those over the top ones were like, you know, seeing a rock undertaker. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of guys who I was a huge fan of that. I don't want to say we're being kept down, but we're being kept down. Um, <laughs> I still give big introductions. Would you say Undertaker, looking back, might be kind of, especially at WrestleMania, was that kind of like the the be-all, end-all, being able to announce him at a main event at WrestleMania? Uh, introducing Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania was the kid in me saying, oh, my gosh. I mean, it was, it was awesome announcing Taker at WrestleMania, and especially like doing that first main event uh, at 24. But... Announcing Hulk Hogan at a WrestleMania was amazing. Announcing the Ultimate Warrior, uh, unfortunately, he passed away the next day, um, which was awful. But uh, being able to announce him just as, as part of my career, that that was huge. Anytime I got to work with the guys that I grew up watching. There's, uh, there's so many great moments. You might even say you had the best seat in the house, which coincidentally, is the name of your book, the author, Justin Roberts, the backstage pass through my WWE journey. This has been a hell of a journey in itself, and we appreciate you spending the time to talk about your book, talk about your experiences, and just talk about being an all-around great fan and ambassador for WWE while you were there. But 
The way we usually wrap it up is we'd say, you know, to one of the old guys, we'd say, you know, well, what do you feel like your legacy is left in the business? But for you, I got to open up the old five years question. Where do you see yourself in five years? Do you ever see yourself getting back into wrestling, or do you want to start pursuing more, maybe writing, or uh, perhaps the uh, you know the commercial route, like you were talking about with that Powerade deal? Um. I love wrestling, and if there was something that was right for me, um, you know, I'd be all for it. But uh, it would have to be the right thing, and I'm very, 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 very picky when it comes to wrestling because I got a hell of an education, and if I'm going to be a part of something, I want it to be something that's done how I feel is the right way. So um, I'm down for anything that's fun and good. And that's awesome. And please, before we uh, let you go, please give us the big plug for the book, where the listeners can find it, where they can find you on social media, and basically anything and everything going on in the world of Justin Roberts. Well, in the event that you like to read, the book can be found at justinrobertsbook.com. You can find the audio link, the ebook, or the hardcover link. Uh, audio should be out April 15th. I'm not sure why it was delayed. But if you don't like to read, go to my Instagram, at Justin Roberts, or my Twitter, at Justin Roberts. And uh, I posted some videos using the hashtag ThatPath a couple of months ago. And those videos basically take you on my journey from being a kid with a microphone in my hand to getting hooked on wrestling, to getting into wrestling in the independence, to working my way up the independence into WWE and working my way up WWE. And you could see all those videos. They're a minute long, and uh, they, they really tell the story in case uh, maybe you don't like to read books. Uh, I don't read a lot of books, so uh, check out hashtag that path using my social media at Justin Roberts or justinrobertsbook.com. Uh, the tour dates will be there for the signings for uh, the tool tour where I'll be doing signings, and uh, that's really it. You guys have anything you want to plug for yourselves? Oh, we're a uh, two-man power trip, baby. We can't uh, we can't wait to get this episode out there, but. You know, we can hope for possibly a follow-up book where we can talk about your journey through the world of uh, Jerry Springer casting, but we'll save that for, a, uh, yeah. for another date and time. This has been a ton of fun, Justin, and thank you so much for uh Sounds good. Thank you it. guys. Enjoyed it. it. Great journey. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.